0: Well, the legislature in Texas meets once every two years. So it's one of the, one of the last states that still has a legislature that meets that way. Um, and the session runs for 140 days beginning in January. So, you know, it runs through essentially through the end of May. So, you know, right now things are pretty quiet. Um, you know, the next, the next thing, big thing that will happen is that committee assignments are made. Um, and then the bill will start to work its way through the committee process. And then, you know, that typically happens, uh, you know, late February, maybe early March. Um, And then, you know, it's heard on the House floor, heard on the Senate floor, uh, and then ultimately will work its way up to the governor's office. And and I would say typically the bulk of legislation ends up on the governor's desk, um, usually around May.
1: You are listening to the Climbing Advocate podcast. I am your host, Peter Horgan. On this podcast, I'll be chatting with folks who care deeply about the climbing environment to discuss the advocacy work that's happening beyond the crag. My aim is to connect more climbers to the important work that these advocates are doing day in and day out. From the small local crags, to the nation's iconic landscapes, and to the offices of our nation's capital, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. Access Fund. Since 1991, Access Fund has been keeping the crags, boulders, and alpine environments around the country conserved and cared for. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, Episode 10. My guest today is Brian Tickle. Brian is the Texas Regional Director for Access Fund, and you may remember him from Episode 4. I brought Brian back on the show. Actually, he rather shamelessly expressed interest in coming back on the show talk all things Texas Climbing again. But before we get started, I have a little business to take care of today. We're just under three months away from Access Fund's 2019 Annual Advocate Summit, which will be held in Seattle this year on October 11th and 12th. Access Fund rotates the locations of this event each year to ensure proper representation of different regions from around the country. Advocates descend upon this event from every corner of the country, each representing their respective region while also focusing on advocacy at a broader national scale. The summit is a two-day event that includes a number of workshops and panel discussions covering an array of topics and the celebration dinner where the day's conversations will continue over amazing food and drinks. This will be my fourth summit that I've attended, and it's always been a fun, inspiring time brushing shoulders with other conservation-minded climbers and athletes. Having all these people under the same roof is an exceptional experience, and I encourage everyone to attend if they can. Tickets are currently on sale and will be on the earlier bird special through October, or excuse me, August twenty sixth, and sales will end one week prior to the event on October fourth. And one important thing I can't forget to mention is that Access Fund offers scholarships to help offset some costs of the event. Check out more details on the scholarship opportunity and the specifics of the summit event at Access Fund's website. It's accessfund.org forward slash twenty nineteen annual summit. It's two zero one nine annual summit. It has everything you need to know about getting your tickets, planning your trip, the workshops, etc. I'll be sure to provide more details as they emerge as the date gets closer, and I hope to meet many more of, of you all there this year. All right, back to Brian. If you recall from episode four, the legislative session was just getting started in, back in January, and he wanted to circle back and give all of us updates on how the session went for the folks in Texas. Brian is the first repeat guest I've had on the show, but we had already kind of pre-planned that going into January's episode. We thought it would be a good idea to circle back on how the session went once it had ended. So, here we are. Brian and Access Fund had a couple major things on their agenda rolling into this session, including securing permanent funding for Texas state parks, because as we will discuss in the episode, it's not just our federal public lands that are being starved of adequate funding, but the same problem exists for Texas state parks as well. Then the second major item was amending the, Tex- the Texas Recreational Use Statute, to include rock climbing. 95% of the land in Texas is private, so this would have huge implications for both climbers and landowners. So let's head south and talk about Texas climbing with Mr. Brian Tickle. All right, Brian. Well, welcome back to the Climbing Advocate podcast. Super excited to have you back on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but you are the first repeat guest I've had on the show. How do you What do you think about that?
0: Well, I, I don't mind being a shameless self promoter, so I appreciate the I appreciate the
1: chance. No, of course you're. Just, you know, like I've said before, you're just so darn good at your job. I really wanted to have you back on, and we did talk about having you back on for a second time around this time uh, this year to circle back on the work you had lined up for the legislative session in Texas, starting back in January when I had you on. Yep. Um, so we can we're going to jump into that this episode. Uh, the two main. Uh, items that we have for on our agenda here were uh, funding for state parks and amending the recreational use statute in Texas. Those were the two big things you had going on moving into this legislative session this year. But before we dive into the meat of that, one of the big topics we spoke about in January was the acquisition of the medicine wall that was completed late last year when the Texas Climbers Coalition took ownership of it, and the Access Fund also holds a conservation easement on it. Any updates or anything that's happened um, that's over, over the past six or, six or seven months with the Medicine Wall?
0: Yeah, that's right. We had, that, we had that acquisition project go through in, uh, in December. And um, part, of the, part of the deal that we had worked out to make that acquisition happen uh, was that we would wait on the city of San Antonio to complete their trail project. Um, which which is what provides public access to the wall. So Medicine Wall is a small little parcel of, of land. It's a, it's a landlocked parcel, which means it doesn't uh, abut a public road or trail. Uh, well, at least not yet. Um, so there's no, there's no direct public access to it. And the access is going to come from the city of San Antonio. And they're in the process of building uh, a pretty vast network of trails through San Antonio. And um, I guess the... The best I have for an update is uh, the city of San Antonio had a bond package that went through that included funding for that trail that goes next to Medicine Wall. So the funding's in place. They've started working on the trail and the parking lot, and uh, we're really just waiting on them. And as far as the timeline, you know, potentially on the early side, maybe it would come by the end of 2020, uh, but it's, it's probably a more conservative estimate to say 2021. So all the pieces are in order. We're just waiting for them to... Build out the trail, and then uh, the Texas Climbers Coalition will be in a position to open up the property to the public.
1: All right, I'm trying to envision this: what this is going to look like with the trail neck going by the climbing area. I mean, is the climbing area immediately off this trail? It's going to be multi-use, you know, all kinds of users: bikers, walk, you know, dog walkers. Everyone is it just immediately accessible right there off the trail?
0: It's pretty close. It's not far. Um, Medicine Wall is a little limestone bluff that sits along the Salado Creek, uh, and and the trail runs just on the other side of the creek. So it'll be a pretty it'll be a pretty easy approach. It's about a one mile walk on a. I think the the trail is essentially going to be a ten foot wide uh, concrete path that supports multiple uses, and uh, so it's really just a, a one mile
1: approach from the parking lot to the to the crag. So it's pretty simple. That's, that's easy and just lots of visibility for anyone walking by. I mean, they can clearly see it. Yeah. I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, a non-climber at this point can be walking by and feel intrigued like, oh, rock climbing. Look at that. That looks pretty cool. I want to try that. Is there have you guys thought through, is there like commercial use that might be happening down the road? Am I kind of getting ahead of the game here? Well, there's
0: no, so right now there aren't any bolts on the wall. All of the fixed hardware was stripped um, years ago. So there's, there's nothing to climb uh, right now, but you know, the access in the future will just be free and open. And there's, there's no restriction for guiding services are allowed to use it just provided that they, you know, provide both Texas Climbers Coalition and uh, the access fund, you know, proof of insurance, uh, but it's, it's open to the public. It's, it's free and open.
1: Cool. Well, yeah, maybe we'll intrigue some more climbers to join the community here some more down the road. Yeah, absolutely. The last thing I want to touch on before we jump into the funding for state parks topic is this new ambassadorship program that the access fund started. There's several across the country, not in every state, but Texas does have one. Yeah. You want to jump into that a little bit? Explain that program and who this uh, ambassador is for the state of Texas.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a program that our um, our events manager Heather uh, created not too long ago, and it's a community ambassador program, and it's basically just a network of uh, of people around the country who can assist Access Fund staff with you know a lot of it. I think is event planning, a lot of it's messaging. It's it's really been a big help in Texas because it's really just had really just been me for the, for a while kind of running everything. And uh, I had somebody reach out um, a little over a year ago who was really interested in just volunteering, you know, around the same time, Heather, our events manager was putting together this program and um, it's really worked out great. And, you know, we now have a community ambassador in Texas. Her name's Amber Kasky, and she's been a huge help. Yeah, I think it's great to have, uh, motivated volunteers because it's, it's difficult to be, I mean, there's so many gyms, there's so many offers to table at events. Um, you know, I, one person can't possibly fulfill all of that. So it's, it's been great to have Amber on board as our Texas community ambassador.
1: All right. And is there, I mean, she is going to do this indefinitely. Are there, um, no, it's current...
0: just, it's, yeah, it's a one year, one year. it's a one okay. year term,
1: uh, and I, and I believe that at the end of
0: that one year, there's an option to, to do it again. And, you know, we just, obviously we don't want people being burned yeah. out and see so yeah, there's a, there's a use by date on it, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> gotcha. Right on. Yeah. I think I saw Colorado has two ambassadors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm sure the program will just keep on growing and more states will be represented as uh, time goes on. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's dive into it. State parks, funding for state parks. Yeah. Um, outside the obvious, that being Waco Tanks, of course, there are 94 other state parks, to be exact, in Texas. So yep. 95 total, that's incredible. I went through a list of state parks in Colorado, and there's 40-something, 40 45 or something like that. We mm-hmm. got half of which you guys have, which kind of makes sense, I guess, in a way, since there's so much more federal land in Colorado than Texas. Mm-hmm. So with that many state parks in Texas, it makes it the number one tourist attraction in the state. And even though there are that many, it's not necessarily spreading out the crowds. Popularity is on the rise with numbers in some of those parks doubling over the last decade, which, of course, without any, any mystery, is having its impacts on the integrity and in infrastructure of the parks. Yeah. And this issue is ubiquitous across our nation's public lands but it's, it seems to be commonly associated with federal lands, but of course it, is, it expands well beyond that. So why don't you explain to everyone how state parks are funded in Texas and what you're up against going into this legislative session this year?
0: Yeah, state parks, just like you said, there are 95 uh, state parks and um, natural areas, historic sites, and uh, they are funded through what's called the Sporting Goods Sales Tax which is exactly what it sounds like. It's the tax, it's the sales tax that's collected on items like tents and fishing rods, um, you know, outdoor recreation gear. Uh, and, And those tax proceeds are basically put in a bucket of money that the state legislature has available to appropriate however they wish. And so while this money is collected for state parks and historic sites ultimately it's the prerogative of the legislature to appropriate that money and historically uh, they've only appropriated about 40 percent of what's been collected in the sporting goods sales tax to state parks and that other 60 percent has gone to you know any any number of other things it could be you know funding for roads it could be you know funding for prisons it could be anything uh, the legislature has quite a bit of uh, leeway and how they appropriate money. Um, so, you know, it, just like you said, we've state parks have been chronically underfunded, and in the meantime, the population in Texas has just exploded, and demands that are placed on state parks uh, are, are pretty significant. Um, and I guess the challenge going into this legislative session was that initially uh, it was projected that the legislature would have far less money available. To spend in Texas, so the rules in Texas are a little bit unique compared to you know the rules in Washington. In Texas, we have to essentially we have to balance the budget every legislative session, so we're not allowed to spend money that we're not projected to have. Um, so we just had less money uh, on the table to appropriate this session. So you know the the idea that this would be the session that we would. Uh, you know, essentially hamstring the legislature's ability to to appropriate money as they wished and mandate that everything collected in the sporting goods sales tax would go to state parks was kind of uh, kind of daunting, actually. So, you know, it, it required quite a bit of, of communication with lawmakers about what the value of our state parks was. I mean, just like you had mentioned, they are the top uh, they are the top tourist attraction in Texas. I believe they generate somewhere on the order of $900 million uh, in sales annually. Um, They are massive economic drivers in the state. And in fact, they are the key economic driver in a lot of rural communities. So, you know, really, we wanted to show our state parks some love, uh, but we really had to make the case to the legislature that it it, it would be a good policy to... Mandate that every penny that we collected in in the sporting goods sales tax would go to Texas Parks and Wildlife uh, and the Historic Commission with
1: no exceptions. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that to date, only about forty percent has been appropriated. Um, That's right. Yeah, for the for the parks. This tax passed back in '93, so mm-hmm. once out of the last twenty five, twenty you know twenty five years or so only been funded once. That that's just that's crazy. It sounds very similar to the land and water conservation fund that's only received I think 50% of the funding it's supposed to get. So another mm-hmm. ubiquitous issue concerning land conservation. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's a common trend here and it needs to be fixed. Why is this issue why is this issue a concern to climbers? Yeah,
0: I mean you could look at it, you know, everybody knows about Waco tanks and Enchanted Rock Uh, And then we have other state parks like McKinney Falls that also, you know, have a lot of climbing. Um, But, you know, really the majority of state parks in Texas have nothing to do with climbing at all. So yeah, the, the, uh, the question of why would climbers have an interest in being engaged in this broader state parks issue when, you know, the majority of the state parks don't have anything to do with climbing was interesting. I think, Um, you know, number one, since beginning my role with the access fund, one of the things that I've really tried to work on is to build an inventory of all the climbing that's in Texas, you know, both secret areas, public areas, route counts, boulder problems, just, you know, everything. And, um, you know, I feel like I have a pretty good handle of what's in Texas and about 45% of all the climbing in Texas is in state parks. So, I mean, that almost more than anything should be uh, the driver of why we want to be good advocates for state parks, because of course they can't lobby for themselves; they rely on you know other groups to be their advocates. To give an example, if if you have if you have a pro, if state parks has a project that would be worthwhile in a park like Enchanted Rock, where there, where there's climbing, and in the meantime they've got a park. Over in you know Matagorda Island on the Gulf Coast that gets wiped out by a hurricane, you know state parks have to kind of a lot of other projects grind to a halt while they have to address this natural disaster at another state park. Or you know another example would be uh, this place called Balmoray State Park, which is kind of out in West Texas. It's it's really just a it's a natural spring where there's this really beautiful pool, uh, and it is a very in demand park. Uh, but there's, you know, it has nothing to do with climbing. Well, you know, a few years ago, that park went offline because of failing infrastructure. You know, all these little problems that pop up in state parks, you know, have a trickle-down effect and, and a system-wide effect. Uh, so I think, you know, as as climbers, it's it's important that, you know, the health of our, you know, quote-unquote climbing parks are really just, you know, they're all interconnected to the broader state parks System, so it seemed like a very worthwhile endeavor to to really provide support uh, for an issue this big, which is a system wide issue for state parks.
1: Yeah, just looking at the bigger picture, right? Yeah. stepping out of the climbing silo, so to speak, and looking at the broader picture has wider implications beyond climbing, and that's very important. I think that that story or that theme is is becoming more prevalent. Just in public land advocacy, isn't the Access Fund working on like some kind of uh, common ground campaign, where there's interaction between climbers and, and hunters and anglers, just finding common ground and what they love? And at the at the end of the day, it's the outdoors, it's the land. So like, yeah, thinking more broadly. Right, and no, and and no person is
0: just. I mean, some people maybe, but for the most part, I think most people are not just one thing. I mean, right a climber is not just a climber. We all, you know, I fly fish, I kayak, we all kind of cross over into these other human powered sports or, mm-hmm. you know, hunting and fishing. And so, yeah, I think it, I think it is important uh, to take a holistic view. And, and of course the, the, the larger, the coalition you have, uh, the more, the more weight you can throw around and the more decision-making power you have, uh, you know, on, on policy issues.
1: Of course. No, I love, I love what you said there. A climber is not just a climber. I like to strike a balance in my outdoor activities. You know, I, I, I'm a winter enthusiast. I do some other things in the summer as well. So yeah, I, I really liked what yeah. you said there. That's a great point. Moving on. There's uh there was the Texas coalition for state parks campaign. Yeah. Could you explain what that campaign was all about and what the goals were of that? Yeah, you bet. The
0: Texas coalition for state parks was a was a 501c4 group that was uh, basically formed to lobby the, le- lobby the legislature uh, to amend the Texas Constitution and mandate that the sporting goods sales tax gets, um, gets directed to our state parks and historic sites. Um, so it, it was really formed with that one, one purpose in mind, and the coalition's comprised of a number of different outdoor conservation groups mostly, but also recreation groups um, and, and also, you know, other, other businesses. So it's a pretty, pretty broad coalition of groups. I think maybe 90, 90 groups signed up all said and done. Um, and, and the access fund was part of that coalition. And, you know, our role in that was uh, to lobby, the lo- lobby, the legislature to pass this constitutional amendment. And it was kind of a you know, it was a, an uphill battle because unlike a bill, a constitutional amendment requires a supermajority uh, in the state legislature. So you have to have two thirds of all the members signing on. Um, so that was that was what the the group was formed to
1: do. Yeah, that's it's, also glad you brought that up. It's not a unanimous decision, just majority. Right. Well, bills are a simple
0: majority. A constitutional amendment requires um, a supermajority, so it requires two thirds. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you clarified that. So, what was the outcome of the campaign?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we, you know, we we uh, had some really fantastic champions of this of this constitutional amendment. Representative John Siree in the House and uh, Senator Lois Cullcross in the Senate uh, both carried. Uh, their versions of the constitutional amendment and, you know, a lot of credit of course goes to them for really whipping the votes on it. And, and um, you know, the messaging was always clear and um, yeah, I mean the outcome was, was incredibly positive. It was, you know, we received a lot of press attention early on um, and, you know, each, each kind of member organization on this coalition did their part to uh, you know, lobby lawmakers to really communicate that you know this is not a new tax. This is simply dedicating this tax to its intended purpose, uh, and you know that this is a good business decision for the state of Texas because again, state parks are such key economic drivers that you know they really deserve the same uh, clear uh, regulation and funding as as Texas provides for other. Other businesses essentially. So this just was a good business decision, um, and yeah, at the end of the day, um, we had every member I think just about signing on to the to both of these constitutional amendments. And um, you know, at the at the end of the session, I think there was only one uh, legislator that did not vote in favor <laughs> of these constitutional amendments. So they were, I mean, clearly it was. Uh, a bipartisan issue. Clearly, clearly it was very popular right. uh, and the legislature really understood the the value of doing this. And uh, so, yeah, so the, what happens next is, you know, these, these amendments have been passed by the legislature and now they go before the voters of Texas. So that's how the constitutional amendment works. So that will, the, the issue will ultimately be decided by Texas voters and that will
1: happen this November. All right, so it's not totally set in stone yet. It it did pass, but it still has to go to a vote. Yeah,
0: not set in stone, uh, but you know, the coalition has just completed a round of polling, so you know we're kind of looking at that. But you know, in the past, we've they found that seventy percent of Texans, you know, uh, support would support this measure. And again, I think the the messaging behind that is that this
1: is not a new tax. Exactly. Yes. Yes. I, I wanted to bring that up again because you mentioned that just a minute ago. Is yeah, making sure that that communication is there, that it's not a new tax. I mean, how many people? Not how many people. Well, like, do you think most most of these folks know about this tax, or
0: are they educated on this? I think I think probably I think probably some of the diehard outdoors uh, folks probably know that. Yeah, when I buy this fishing rod, that tax is supposed to go to our state parks. Um, you know, the population at large, I would say, probably has no idea at all that that's <laughs> where the tax that they pay in sporting goods sales, you know, goes towards. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I think you know, politically, it's it's a bipartisan, it's a nonpartisan issue, and depending on what what side of the aisle you're on, you could look at it either way. You could say, well, this is, you know, this is a truth and taxation issue. When when we pay sales tax on a, on sporting goods, that money's supposed to go to state parks, and it should go to state parks and not somewhere else. And you know, you could also look at it as, hey, this is really encouraging, you know, people to get outdoors and all the health and wellness that comes with that. And you know, in a state in a state that's ninety five percent private property, this could be, uh, you know, our, our public lands are very precious here, and you know, they deserve they deserve some love absolutely
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely amen (laughs) so yeah we look forward to uh we'll look forward to november and see how that vote turns out all right all right the recreational use statute or what you have deemed called the rock climbing bill most i I think just about every state if not all of them have a recreational use statute so Uh for starters why don't you tell the listeners and tell everyone what a recreational use statute is
0: yeah, every state has a, a recreational use statute, and uh, what it does is it uh, guides liability for landowners, both public and private. And you know, one of the things that it does is it lists out different activities, like hunting and fishing, are always are always in there. That was sort of the, you know, the one of the genesis of of why these recreational use statutes exist. And you know, what they do is they essentially say. You know, if if you are a landowner and you allow the public to come onto your land to engage in recreational activities, you know you're immunized of liability, uh, and essentially you don't owe any more duty of care to people coming onto your property than you would just somebody trespassing. Uh, so mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a set of laws that that provide uh, liability protection for landowners, and each one, you know, each one is a creature of state law. They're all a little bit different. Some are stronger for climbers than others. You know, Washington State, for example, uh, you know, lists out rock climbing and also includes language about fixed hardware, which is, you know, really strengthens their recreational use uh, statute for climbers. And then some states don't have, you know, rock climbing mentioned at all. In fact, the majority of them do not. Uh, And Texas was that way. And um, this this was a project that we had uh, looked at uh, in 2016 um just because you know that's a if you can if you can essentially if you could hold up a piece of paper to a landowner that said hey look rock climbing is written there right next to hunting and fishing that's a pretty strong communication tool so that was right, right. that was one of the reasons we we tackled this
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, I looked up Colorado's recreational use statute and course climbing was on there. I, f- I figured it would be, mm-hmm. but to, yeah, just some other activities. <laughs> I kind of chuckled at like birding. Yep. Birding. You know, to be a very, very precarious activity.
0: Yeah. We have a few in Texas. We have uh, on and off leash dog walking <laughs> that's in there. So the, the on and off leash dog walking lobby uh, probably lobbied hard to get that in there.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure that was some tough work, (laughs) but people are outside. They're bound, you know, anything could happen, trip over anything and hurt yourself. So I guess you got to just cover your butts and, uh, on everything. This wasn't the first time that a bill like this was trying to had tried to be passed in Texas. A tremendous amount of effort was put forth in the past to amend this statute to include climbing, but it ultimately failed. Yeah. What, uh, what was the Access Fund's history with this recreational use statute, and was there any kind of different approach you guys used this time around? Gotcha. Yeah, we started this in 2016 um,
0: in the run-up to the 2017 uh, legislature, and uh, at, at that time we had we ended up engaging um, a government relations consultant, really talented guy named Joey Park, and he was fantastic. He you know, he got he, he secured a Senate and House sponsor for this bill, and you know, did a great job building a big coalition of groups to come out and support um, and this. And then, you know, when the when the legislature uh, came to town in 2017, um, you know, I put together some talking points, provided oral testimony in committee hearings, um, and was kind of tag teaming some efforts uh, with Joey. And, you know, we had a lot of early success, like, you know, which is not uncommon um, Mm -hmm. as the legislature unfolds. And then, you know, towards the end of the session, which is only 140 days long, so it's all very compressed. Towards the end of the session, everything bottlenecks um, through a couple of different committees. And, you know, you may have, in a typical session, you may have like 11,000 bills, resolutions, things like that filed. So there's quite a bit of quite a bit of workload and, and everything bottlenecks. And, you know, what ended up happening was, um, well, the, the legislature last session was very contentious and, and there were a lot of really hot button social issues that were being debated. And, you know, a lot of the meat and potatoes kind of issues had just completely fallen by the wayside. And, and the whole state was just, uh, you know, the mired in, uh, you know, kind of social issue driven legislation and you know there was just a, a dispute between um, some members in the House, and uh, as a result, there was a parliamentary move that was pulled late one day to kill every bill that was on um, <laughs> on a calendar to be heard by the House floor. Yeah, and it's you know since been dubbed the Mother's Day massacre. And our bill just happened to be on that calendar. It had nothing to. It was not caught up in any kind of you know, partisan bickering or anything like that. It just happened to be on the wrong calendar on the wrong, you know, wrong day. And, uh, and it, you know, went down in flames. That was it. But, you know, we had it, it, you know, our bill certainly was, was, uh, was nonpartisan. It did not have any opposition. So, you know, as far as things that we did differently this session, um, we, you know, we really just took the same track that we did. Um, you know, unfortunately this session, we did not have, Um, You know, our consultant engaged. It was really just me leading the effort uh, with access fund support, of course. And, you know, the convention, in the legislature is if, you know, you approach the people that filed the bill last session and just see if they plan on refiling it. And in this case, uh, they did. And, you know, we had a a great senator and representative that were filing the bills again for us. And, you know, we just follow the same process. We built up a big coalition of groups to come out in support of the bill. Um, you know, we had a number of different trade associations, uh, a couple of, um, you know, outdoor retailers, climbing organizations, climbing gyms. So we had a pretty broad coalition supporting the, the rock climbing bill. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we kind of did the same thing, provided oral testimony and hearings, met with members, met with staff, just made sure the bill was on everyone's radar, you know, headed off any potential opposition from the trial lawyers, um, you know, just kind of the, the usual things. And, um, yeah, kind of the same, kind of the same thing where we had a lot of early success and things were moving fast. And then, you know, like they always do,
1: they got complicated towards the end. Mm-hmm. Didn't you tell me before you, you got lucky talking to someone, you like happened to bump into someone important outside their office or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, towards
0: the, you know, towards the end of the session, it's the bill kind of started to stall out and it was a little tricky to figure out what had happened. Um, and you know, we, you always, it's best if you can file bills in both the house and the Senate and kind of have them running on parallel tracks that way. If one of them, you know, goes down in flames, you've still got the other one to, to hopefully push through. And, you know, I think there was just a technicality that, that took place where these two bills weren't merged at a, at a critical juncture where they needed to be. And it just kind of, uh, you know, slowed the whole process down and, um, you know, towards the end, the clock starts running out fast. And, you know, I was, I can remember spending, you know, a lot of, a lot of just standing in the lobby of the house, you know, cornering members (laughs) of the calendars committee when they would come out or, you know, I'd kind of like you do, you sort of see all these little kind of, they're, they're not very, you know, they're not very sophisticated a lot of these tricks it's sort of like when you sit up in the gallery you find the you find the seat where you can keep an eye on the person that you're you know wanting to corner and you sort of position yourself so that you know if they go out of the back entrance you can meet <laughs> them down in the stairwell or if they come out the front entrance you can like meet them in the lobby or whatever it is and, right uh you know it's not terribly sophisticated stuff sometimes i'm afraid to say uh but yeah and, and a lot of it's just you know a lot of it's just legwork, like, you know, popping into offices and, you know, visiting with members and, you know, trying to find out if you can get it, you know, get, get our bill, put on the calendar. And, you know, I can remember going into one office and, and uh, visiting with uh, the chief of staff and, and he was kind of giving me his, you know, canned language about, oh yeah, don't worry, we're going to put it on the calendar, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and I was, you know, walking out and, and another staffer kind of stopped me and, was really interested in, in what we were doing. And, you know, he was himself a climber, which is more and more common now, you know, going into these offices. So many of them are now staffed by climbers. It's pretty, or people that do climb, it's pretty remarkable. And yeah, we just, we, you know, had this kind of conversation and he was real interested and, you know, he ended up, uh, you know, getting in front of his boss who was on the calendars committee and, and putting in the good word for us. And, you know, while I, I, you know, there were, I'm sure more than more than just that that ended up, uh, you know, moving our bill. But, you know, I think that was one quit- critical uh, critical thing that happened We're just, you know, you just have that random encounter with somebody that, uh, you know, champions your bill a little bit and moves things along. And, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that our bill was going down in flames. In fact, I had even drafted a, a press release <laughs> kind of, you know, announcing its failure. And we had, (laughs) you know, we had looked into trying to attach it as an amendment to another bill and couldn't find anything that was, you know, germane. And, and, uh, so we kind of were just really, you know, the, the clock really was, the, the deadlines were coming fast and our bill ended up being on the very last calendar of the session. So, you know, that was huge. And, you know, it, was very successful i mean it did not have any opposition and and uh it passed by you know almost a unanimous margin i think i'm not sure anybody voted against it so um i mean we just barely squeaked by just barely got the nose up
1: on it in time awesome well it's not yeah sounds like your job involves a lot of just dirty work just cornering people and being kind of sneaky. Like, okay, I see him going that way. I'm going to go catch him down in the lobby or up the back door. <laughs> that's, a, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. You find out like, you know,
0: the, the physical places where members have to kind of bottleneck as they go from the, you know, the house floor to the, to their offices. And yeah, a lot of it is not, you know, what, there's sort of a fine line to walk though, because it's, you know, I mean the session in Texas this year was all about, big issues like school finance and property tax reform and, um, yeah. you know, not terribly exciting issues, but hugely important issues. So, you know, the legislatures, while they're busy, you know, hashing out, you know, multi-billion dollars in, in, appro- in appropriations, uh, you know, you don't want to suck up too much of their bandwidth with, you know, a rock climbing bill. So there's sort of a, you know, you kind of have to like, balance and, you know, not, not badger people too much, but, you know, you have to keep, you have to keep moving things along you have to keep. uh, And yeah, a lot of it is not terribly complicated. It's just meeting with people on on staff and, you know, finding advocates that will champion your bill here and there and wherever you can find them. And I think it also has to be said that a huge reason why we were able to, to pull the nose up on this bill was because we had so many people uh, registering in support of it. I mean, that was a, that was a huge thing. Anytime you can, you know, show a legislator, a witness list, that's got a long list of people for it and no one against it. That's, that's a good thing. So, you know, I, I don't accept any particular credit for this. I think a lot of it was just having all those groups, uh, come out and support. I think you deserve
1: some credit. <laughs> I don't think you have to be that humble. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, you gotta, you gotta be a pest in a way with some of these people, but not be, yeah, in their face all the time. I guess there's a fine line between being a, being a pest and just being annoying. But yeah. Way to keep a pulse on things, way to be aggressive and active. And, and like you said, get this thing, get this thing passed. Yeah. It could have been the
0: lucky socks. We all, I've you know, we all have these little superstitions <laughs> about, you know, lucky chairs to you sit know. in and you know, like whatever your lucky chair is in the gallery, where you you always sit when your, you know, bill be is being heard, or it's your lucky socks, or whatever it is. Oh, that's hilarious! Everyone, everyone's got some kind of superstition.
1: Yeah, let's give that some credit as well. So could have been a lucky socks. <laughs> um, what do you foresee the implications now being for Texas climbers and Texas landowners moving forward? Yeah, that that'll be interesting. I guess
0: the implications are sort of unknown at this point. Um, you know, certainly I've I've reached out to a to a handful of landowners that were always really interested in the topic of liability. Um, and, you know, they, they really appreciate, you know, all this work that we put in. And and I think climbers understand it too, that, um, you know, a huge part in accessing, um, you know, especially private land really just always comes down to the topic of liability. And this is, uh, this is a, a a great tool to have in communicating with landowners. Um, in Texas who, you know, not, not completely and not entirely, but, you know, are still very much from a hunting and fishing culture where, you know, that's what they're familiar with. And as soon as you bring up something like rock climbing, you know, their, their conception of rock climbing is, is probably what they've seen, uh, in either, you know, from free solo, Maybe the Don Wall or you know that sixty minute segment on Alex Honnold. So that is, you know, that's their conception of climbing, which understandably would make climbing seem like uh, an insanely risky activity that they would never want on their land.
1: Right, of course.
0: You know, again, just having a piece of paper that you can hold up that says, "Hey, look, you know, you guys are familiar with hunting and fishing. Uh, You have a long tradition of allowing the public to come onto your property for hunting and fishing," Uh, and you know, the liability for rock climbing can work the same way it does for hunting and fishing. Hopefully that's the, yeah, hopefully that's what we're able to, uh, hopefully that's the utility of, of changing the recreational use statute, just giving us a communication tool with landowners. Uh, and, you know, the liability protections are very real. So, um, yeah, hopefully that's, uh, hopefully that's something that landowners are very receptive to, both public and private.
1: All right, there it is, folks, episode 10. Thank you so much for listening, and a big thanks to Brian for being shameless and, of course, his lucky socks. It was a pleasure to have him back on the show. It's exciting to see what Brian has been working on the past six, seven months and how his and Access Fund's hard work has paid off this year. The finish line has not officially been crossed quite yet, but my hopes are high for November. And one more plug for Brian. After we were done chatting, he mentioned that he now has the reins over Arkansas and Oklahoma climbing as well. So now his jurisdiction covers three states. I appreciate his modesty, but he's pretty darn good at what he does. And Arkansas and Oklahoma will be psyched to have him. Hopefully we can get some coverage on Arkansas and Oklahoma for the show somewhere down the road. And one more reminder, if you are interested in joining the Access Fund's Advocate Summit this year, please visit accessfund.org forward slash 2019 annual summit to find out all the information that you'll need. If you like the show, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the show on iTunes and if you feel so inclined, leave me a review. You can also find the show on SoundCloud and Access Funds website. Thanks again. I'll catch y'all next month.